instead of trying to get them to break a five-year fix. Right. What was the penalty like? Oh, I was like 15, 20 grand. Like it was oh, stupid. Yeah. 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 Unless, unless the math really is compelling, it's not worth doing. So, so did you yeah. lose the other file too, or did you just lose the one? I did. I did. I oh. lost both. They're still on like my follow-up cycle, but they basically ghosted me. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Welcome to ILMB Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every Friday, we talk to a rookie who's making waves in the industry to find out how they're succeeding in today's ultra-competitive market. Today on the show, I have Brandon Love. Brandon is one of the agents from our Rookie to Rockstar program. And prior to being a mortgage broker, he was actually a farmer, like a full-time farmer, which is super cool. And he's been in our program for 162 days. And in that time, he's generated 57 leads, five pre-approvals. He's got four funded, four live files. So he'll be at eight very quickly. And I just love Brandon's sincerity. I love that he got to a place where he had to make a decision. And, you know, we call it burning the boats. He decided to sell the farm that he had and go all in on mortgages, which has been cool. One of the things we talk about at the end is he's trying to figure out, he's just so busy with work stuff now. How do I create a work-life balance? How do I still you know, be there for my family? And so I dive into a little bit of stuff for that with him. He shares about a file that he made a mistake on and what he learned from it. So a file that didn't work out for him. And this is just a fun conversation. I think Brandon's an awesome guy. You're gonna love what he's up to. And it's pretty cool from farmer to mortgage broker. And you know, the guy is already finding success. So before we jump into that though, I wanna give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform. It's very easy for borrowers to use. It's intuitive. So as the client's filling out the app, it's figuring out what documents they need. Then once you do get the app in, you can then search lender spotlight to figure out which lender it should go with, what the rates should be, what the rates look like. And then when you get ready to submit, it does this thing called smart doc submission notes and it pulls the information from the application so that you can tell the lender what's going on. And then it also lets you know, hey, you're sending it to this lender, make sure you're aware of these guidelines before you hit submit. The whole purpose is to save you time and make it more efficient. Check out finmo.ca. In the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Reuven from Deeded about buying a property out of province and so why a virtual close can be beneficial for that. Check it out and we'll chat soon. Hey, Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott, thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Yeah, so I'm from Burlington originally, currently living in Milton. And so how'd you get into the mortgage business? So I was farming and not making any money. And for years, my buddy Kyle Baker, who works with James Lowen, has been like, you should get in the mortgage business. You do really well at it. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not really my thing. I'm thinking I'm more of a creative guy. And every year he kind of brought it up to me. So finally, I was like, all right, Kyle, tell me more about this mortgage business. What's it all involved? And from there... He turned me on the podcast and it coincided with the start of the brokerage. So I just jumped right in. Right. That's awesome. And so did you start full-time, part-time? So Yeah. So I started part-time because I still had that farm business. But very quickly after I jumped in, I realized that it was going to require full-time attention. So I spent the last roughly four months kind of trying to sell that business. And I just wrapped up selling that uh, well, early February. Right. Yeah. We had a discussion about that. So are you happy with how that turned out? Yeah, it worked out really well. So I was able to sell a bunch of the equipment, which is great. It's just the way inflation worked out, a decent return there. And yeah, then so I was able to... A lot of to, stuff has gone up in price, even though like, you know, any kind of these goods that are harder to get or so, yeah. Exactly. And then my client list, I just sold for like a royalty on sales for one year. So it was mm -hmm. great because I didn't have to try to negotiate any price per client because I wasn't sure if they were going to walk with the new person or move on, right? So it was a fair deal for everyone. Right. And what sort of farm did you have? 
So I had a vertical farm growing microgreens for chefs, restaurants, grocery stores, and home delivery. And then I also grew flowers and vegetables in a small like field plot, like a market garden. Right. Which of the two is more profitable? The microgreens is definitely more profitable because your planting to harvest time is 10 days and you can grow them in like a hundred square foot area versus like acres. Right. Interesting. And so, okay, you sold the farm all in on the mortgage business. How long ago was that now? Start of February, I was like full-time, full-time, but I've more or less been dialing back my farm clients and taking on less there since roughly the end of November. So has there been any point, you know, becoming a new mortgage broker is always challenging, learning something new and total other world. Has there been any point where you may have questioned, you know, should I have done this? Should I have stayed with what I was doing? Honestly, don't think so. Like from when my first file funded, I was like, really saw the potential to take care of my family with this income and the work that went into it. And I really enjoy the whole process. So no, there's been no point that I've been turned off the industry yet. Right. So one of the things I always know when you're new, there's files that you get when you're new that you lose, that you wouldn't lose when you're older or not older, when you're more experienced rather. Can you share a file that you had lost or that didn't go away you thought and then now what you do different with more experience that you have? Yeah, sure thing. So there was a file right at the beginning where I was like, this is amazing. Someone came in, wanted to refinance their parents' house and then use that as the down payment for their property. So I was all gung-ho thinking I'm getting a twofer. And I scared the parents off with the penalties to break their mortgage. Mm, So what would you do different if you were in that situation now? I had just done the call with him and I would have invited the parents on the call and kind of more likely just showed them how to get a line of credit with their current lender and just gone to do the one deal instead of pushing for two, you know, like chase two rabbits, catch none. I would have just done a really great job on one. And then three years from now, circled back with that parent instead of trying to get them to break a five-year fix. Right. What was the penalty like? Oh, I was like 15, 20 grand. Like it was stupid. Yeah. 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 Unless the math really is compelling. It's not worth doing so so did you yeah. lose the other file too or did you just lose the one i did i did i oh. lost both they're still on like my follow-up cycle but they basically ghosted me i didn't have a very eloquent way of communicating the math at the time either i was really just kind of swinging for the fences and in a space i shouldn't have been in but uh, you know you got to try and take them all right right yeah and take a swing at it all so that's interesting so there was another file too that you had run into that maybe we could talk about without saying the lender because i think they've changed <laughs> yeah that. talk to me about that file and what you learned from that experience yeah maybe, so maybe kind of the stage back, so people know what, you're, what we're talking about the backstory of that file was it was a declared income file it was a really tough one that took a long time and the file funded it was my second file i was kind of waiting for my commission wondering when's this coming in like what's going on here you're like, show me the money, Jerry. Show me yeah. the money, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, like how long does it take to get paid in this industry? Because I need to get a lot more deals if this is how things are. And then it came out that they don't pay like a finder's fee on this product and that you should charge your own fee. But I had no idea of this and it was not well communicated at the time. So that was a loss of commission there, but still a closed deal. So the client was happy, but uh, that's all that matters, I guess. Yeah. And they didn't have to pay a fee. I ended up doing a post on that in our Facebook group and it got a lot of traction because it is when you looked at the lender's you know, sheet, it said on there, but it was sort of weird because it's unusual not to pay anything on this type of file. Sure, some types of files, but this one was very unusual and it was changed. So we can call that the, you know, the brand and you influence that. 
by having that situation come up and then other brokers going, well, that doesn't seem right. And then so the lender was pretty good about realizing that they needed to fix it. Yeah, like in a roundabout way, it's a win. And now I know on the next time for that product that at least it's paid out now. Right. And it's another live and learn. So there's two main skills you got to master in the mortgage business. One is sales, the other is underwriting. Which one's been harder for you? Underwriting 100%. I'm definitely getting better at it. And I have a really great like support team within the brokerage and then just other agents who help out as well. So I'm definitely improving there, but that was a weakness for sure. So, and how about the sales? So how did you find like the transitioning from, you know, cause you had your own business, you do have to do some sales. Everybody does, whether it's a farm or whatever. How did you find the sales part of the process? To start, I found it difficult from the standpoint of not having the confidence of the product. But as soon as I got the confidence of the product, then I found it was just like anything, building those relationships, picking up the phone, calling people, seeing people. And I found a lot of value in the training that we have for sales there. And the mindset work really helped as well. Right. For you, what's been the biggest takeaway from the program, the 100-day challenge stuff and the curriculum that we've put together? I would say the biggest takeaway is just kind of having those budgets and being able to communicate with video to clients. Because I think when you talk in high level terms to people who aren't thinking about this every day, it's really easy to confuse them. Whereas the training that we're given, we communicate so clearly and effectively that it demonstrates the client confidence on our side. So they trust in what we're saying to them. And then to all of our partners, it gives them a really clear idea of how to work within the parameters that are set there. Right. Yeah, that's really good. The budget that you're talking about is basically building a plan for the client, showing them the numbers in a way. And then, of course, tying video into that makes it a lot more. I always say show, don't tell whenever possible. If I show you, you can see it. If I just tell you, it's like, are we connecting? Do you understand? So I think it's important that whatever you're using, that you figure out a way to show as much as possible. Sure. So for you, what was the most challenging part about the sales or learning to do the sales? I think the most challenging part was just getting out of my own way, picking up the phone and making those calls in the beginning. I was kind of giving myself a pat on the back too early, thinking that I had reached out to enough realtors. And now what I do in a day would have been kind of what I did in a week before. So just kind of realizing and learning that I was my biggest problem. Right. That's always the case, right? And you touched on mindset. So how has, you know, focusing on developing the mindset, protecting your mindset, how do you think that's helped you or influenced what you've been up to? Yeah, so that's been huge. So like I write out my goals every day. I think that's a big part of knowing where you want to go and like where you want to point your ship. When there's any hurdles, like having Loren to run through things, I've found a lot of value in my biweekly call with her. Mm-hmm. And just reframing things. So that Monday mindset call, I always leave with a good takeaway of how I'm going to reframe my outlook going into the week. And I just find that like now something that would have phased me, like like that example we had of the lender not paying a commission, like that would have probably irked me for a week and a half. But now I'm like, okay, well, six months ago, I had no deals to lose. So right. my perspective is just radically different. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's how you kind of have to think about these things. I mean, it's all learning, right? So that's really good. Okay. So I'm going to ask some rapid fire questions. You can answer with shorter answers if you like. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? I am a prolific sleepwalker. So like really? running out the front door, jumping out the window. Yeah. No like, way. So like, home by are you living on a main floor in Montreal. or upper floor? My house now is two stories, but yeah, I haven't made it out the second story window yet. So 
Okay. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Now that's something you wouldn't find on Google. You should have like your security cameras around your home and then mortgage brokers out sleepwalking to go save a deal. <laughs> yeah, like- I should actually. We always joke that I should have a YouTube channel just with like one of those head cams or yeah, cameras like a, all around. Yeah, what do they call that? GoPro. Or you just have cameras around the house and just watch you wandering around like, what is he doing? Exactly. Okay. What's a movie everybody should watch at least once? So I'm more of a book guy than a movie guy, but I use a little Disney daycare for my daughter. So she's been watching this movie, Luca. And in Luca, he kind of talks to this voice in his head that tells him not to do things. And he goes, Silencio Bruno. And it's just like shutting down your fears. So I, I mm. like that one. Yeah, actually works for me. He's telling me about that. What are three software programs or digital tools you can't run your mortgage business without? Google Drive, for sure. My phone and Loom. And Loom, yeah. And then what's the best advice you received as a new mortgage broker? The best advice was probably from you when you said the fortune's in the follow-up. Yeah, it totally is. I mean, that wasn't my line, but I wish it was because I would trademark it. Ting! You know, trademark. It's attributed to you in my world. So okay, I heard that somewhere. I can't remember where, So, but that's good. <laughs> Knowing what you know now, so what would you do different if you're starting over? I would have tried to sell my business way earlier and just dove right in and I would have kind of ramped up my efforts to the level I'm at now and probably more at the very beginning. So I would be at kind of where I'm at now earlier. Right. What would be your advice to somebody who's new? What would you say to them? Just pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Yeah, I 100% agree. So we were chatting before we got on here and I asked you what your biggest challenge is. And so to maybe just share what's your current biggest challenge? Yeah. So we were just kind of riffing on that. My challenge right now is that I'm totally content to rise in the morning, work all day into the evening. And it doesn't phase me, but there's no harmony with the rest of my family. And they kind of feel that things are out of skew in that sense. So we were just chatting. I was asking you, how do you balance it as a busy person and keep your family happy? Keep, yeah, the main things, the main things. Well, I have to say that this is a challenge for me as well. Like I'm not perfect on this. So recently we had something happen in our family, nothing like, you know, major or anything, but certainly serious, but not major. And it made me really contemplate, like, what does my nine to five look like? And whenever you say yes to something, you have to think about what is the nine to five of that? Yes. And often I tend to underestimate everything's going to take me half as long. I'm going to do it twice as fast. It's going to be half the cost, you know, drives my wife crazy, but it isn't in real life. In real life, that doesn't happen. Usually I think that optimism is what gets me started because I realized how hard things were sometimes I wouldn't probably do them. But what I tend to do and what I was even doing today before we chatted or was doing in my morning time is I go and look at my calendar and I do this exercise called my ideal work day. And so I design what my day looks like, how to block it off into chunks, you know, have my calendar designed for when I'm doing podcasts or training, whatever that looks like when I'm exercising, when I'm picking up the kids. And then I back out from there. Then I look at, okay, this is what's left over, right? I guess there's that book in Stephen Covey says, you got the big rocks and you got those small rocks and you got the sand, you put them in the jar. And of course, if you put the sand in first, the rocks aren't going in, you can't fit it all in. But if you put the big rocks in and then the small ones and then the sand, it all fits. And so I think it's the same idea with this ideal work day is just build your day and definitely carve out time for family, whether that's shut your phone off for a couple hours, put it away in a drawer, you know, so that you're actually like in present because it's so easy and I'm guilty of this of just, you know, picking up your phone and you're sitting there with your kid and I haven't seen my kid all day and I'm just figuring on my phone looking at some stupid thing on Facebook or TikTok that is not going to make any difference and I'm going to forget it in five minutes. And so I feel like for me, that's been one of the exercises I have to regularly do. And then anytime you make a bigger, major change in life, something happens, you know, career change, whatever, then you go back and look at that calendar again and be like, okay, is this still realistic? You know, and then you just do your best to match that. So that's what I would say is helpful. Have you ever done that exercise? 
No, I haven't done that particular exercise. But one thing I did before, because, you know, farming is a lot of hours too, is I started to track every step of my day and kind of reduce the waste. It's kind of like a time audit. That's a great idea. So, so I likely have to do the same thing in the mortgage business. I don't know. I can stay on the phone and chat with clients all night. You know, the time just flies by and all of a sudden you realize like, oh, it's bedtime for the kids or whatever. And you haven't really been there. Yeah, I think you're right. Another great way to look at this is a time audit. I kind of do like it's more like a time planning. And everybody says you should, you know, block your calendar, but you really got to get disciplined on this if you're going to not, you know, you don't want to miss out. How old are your kids? My daughter's four. My stepson's nine. Yeah, so they're still young. You got lots of opportunity with them. You know, once I read somewhere that when your child is 18, you all have spent like 95% of the time that you're going to spend with them is between one and 18 or like zero and 18. And it's kind of sobering, right? You're like, wow. So you're saying that like my time with my child is almost over and I'm going to just see them in snippets, which is true. I'm not trying to like stress people out, but it just shows the importance of how easily we can, you know, miss it if we're not careful. And I know I've been guilty of this. Yeah. Well, man, I'm excited about what you're doing your business. I know that you've got some cool things you're doing. It's starting to get traction for you. And you took the plunge and sold the farm, which was pretty amazing. And so, man, I can't wait to see what you do in the next six to 12 months. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey, and thanks again for coming on the show, Brandon. We'll be chatting again soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Scott. So I just love Brandon, love his sincerity, his drive and, you know, his commitment to his family as well as his business is, is super inspiring. If you're listening to this and if you're new, I'd recommend you go check out rookie2rockstar.ca. We have a whole program designed around helping you get your business going like Brandon did, whether you were a farmer or whatever career you were in before, we can help you make that transition and help you have success. In this upcoming segment, I'm going to talk to Reuven about buying properties out of province. Hey, Ruben, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, great to be here again. So, hey, let's talk today about buying property out of province for any variety of reasons and why virtual close is just so much more efficient and effective. So give me some examples of when somebody would be buying out of province. So we're seeing due to COVID, really, Canadians have never been more mobile across provinces, right? So there's a lot of trends where people are moving away from their home province, either personally, they're selling their property, moving to another province. We're seeing a lot of that happening here in Ontario with Ontario residents moving to provinces like Alberta, moving to Nova Scotia. Kelowna. My buddy Ryan moved here from Ontario. Like He's got a whole bunch of friends that are all previous Ontario transplants that came out here. So not just Kelowna, but COVID has made people be able to work from home and they're like, I want to live somewhere different. And so that's what I've seen too. I see that absolutely, too. absolutely. And the other trigger, Scott, is investment activities moving. So you got, you know, prices have been appreciating in major hubs like Toronto and Vancouver, and you've got more affordable markets and, you know, in Alberta and Calgary and Edmonton, where you could still get a decent property at a decent price. So what we've seen, you know, numerous examples of is people are moving their investment activities. They're buying new construction. They're buying resale homes in, in Alberta. They're buying them in Nova Scotia, et cetera. The one thing that really hasn't been thought through, because again, we've never seen that level of activity is really how do you transact when you're not in that local market? And what do you walk us through in case people don't understand it? So let's say I'm in BC and I'm purchasing a property in Ontario, right? Like a cottage or something. What does it normally look like for me to get that like registered? I'm a BC boy buying in Ontario. Why don't you walk through that and then we can walk through what you guys do. Yeah. So typically you'll need a lawyer or a notary. In Ontario case, it'd be a lawyer that 
will essentially work towards closing your transaction, searching your title, and ensuring that everything goes through and gets registered, your deed gets registered on your Ontario property. And a lot of times that means that that lawyer is licensed in, in Ontario. So if you're out in BC, you'll have to find that local resource that'll help you go through that process, obviously, as an aside from finding a real estate agent, et cetera. And typically, from signing your documents perspective, what that means is you're either going to have to travel to, in this case, Ontario, to sign your closing documents a few days before you take possession, or you may have to hire an additional lawyer notary in the province of British Columbia to witness you signing those documents. More lawyers equals more cost, right? And I've done this before because the people in Ontario, the lawyers have access to the land title system, the registry, so they can go in and put your name on, take the person's name off. The lawyer here in my province, they have access to the BC one, but unless they're actually licensed and registered in that province, they can't do it. And so you end up increasing the cost and just increasing the complexity of organizing two sets of lawyers and just way more complex. So how do you guys do it? So let's say I'm buying a property now, I'm using deeded, your virtual closing, what does it look like with you? So we have lawyers at the moment in provinces of Ontario, in British Columbia and Alberta. So anybody that's buying, and we'll go back to that example of if I'm in British Columbia and I want to buy an Ontario property, the virtual signing process basically will be with our Ontario lawyer that will conduct that signing while you're in British Columbia. So essentially, you're no longer need to either travel or you know hire an additional lawyer or notary locally so that makes the process a lot more frictionless as well as you know economical from that sense right there's less cooks in the kitchen so a question for you on this can people sign from out of country i believe you've had in the past so let's say you go down to mexico and you're on vacation you're closing a property can you sign from mexico or do you have to be in canada to do a virtual close in most cases you can some lenders may have requirements where that borrower or guarantor, anybody signing documents may need to be physically in the country. So it really depends on a case by case basis and dependent on the lender's policies. Okay. But you have done it though. So it can be done where people have closed, not even outside of province, but their travel schedule, whatever works out that they're not at home and then they can sign. Does the lender actually put that in the conditions and the instructions? Like how would you know so if I'm a mortgage broker, how would I know if I'm allowed to do that or not? Do I have to check with the lender? Do you guys see it in instructions? How do we determine that? Yeah, we typically come through as part of solicitor instructions as part of some of the conditions that we get. So that'll explicitly be there. But from a mortgage broker perspective, it's always wise to check with your underwriter or your BDM. If you do have a situation where your client may be out of country and not be available at the time or in that time window of closing to check the lender's policies with your BDM and or your underwriter ahead of time before we get conditions. Okay. And so one other question on this, because you guys use like a special virtual signing platform software that you have does it know where i am i would assume it does this may be a little technical yeah it should be like hey i know where you are scott you're sitting in puerto vallarta plus i can see the palm trees behind you so you're not in Kelowna. there is a way to know i would assume that if that's a condition how would you guys be able to verify that apart from somebody saying yeah i'm here but they could be sitting in their living room it would be hard to know where they are specifically 
Yeah, exactly. So there's even more data that's collected other than location, because as you would imagine, it's a high stakes transaction. We want to make sure that that person is who they, is say, who they, they are. say they are. Where they, yeah, okay. Right. And, and that includes location and that includes, you know, recording the entire interaction, et cetera. Moral of the story is, is if this is something that you have a client that's going to do, you talk to your lender about it. Do not bring this on them or the lawyer at the last minute, because it could backfire on you. It could be like, oh, this is great. And then now you've just created a mess that you could have avoided by just having full disclosure and talking to the lender. And you may get an exception if it's not a normal thing, or you may not, but at least you know. Absolutely. And we've seen so many situations, especially in the onset of some of the lockdowns where people were literally stuck out of country, or you had folks that had a long-term work assignment where they couldn't be in the country. And we found lenders were very accommodating, but you bring up a great point, Scott, where you have to have that conversation and come up with a mutual workaround through a great relationship with working with uh, your lender. Your lender and your lawyer. Okay, cool. So what's kind of your last piece of advice for somebody listening to this, just thinking about interprovincial registrations of properties and yeah, what would you say to somebody? Yeah, no, so there's never been a more exciting and easier time to move across provinces because, for example, in terms of virtual closing in that process really means you can shop for a new property from your couch. So you could be in Ontario and you can find a beautiful property or vacation, Halifax. vacation property like in Halifax or Alberta. And you can literally transact on that property from the comfort of your own home. So it's a very exciting opportunity. It's something that's important to educate clients on because it's just a different level of convenience to be able to facilitate some of the transactions that typically would have been very complex and costly as well, involved things like travel and making an extra trip, et cetera. Yeah, no, it's awesome. So if you guys are listening to this and you want to experience an amazing virtual close, check out dita.ca, Reuven. I know a lot of my mortgage broker buddies have been using you with rave reviews. I'm actually in the process of doing a refi and purchase with you guys, which has been awesome so far. Log in, can see everything and where it's at on the file. I was like, oh, I wonder if the instructions are there. Oh, they're not. Bing, I ping my guy. He's like, oh, sorry with that. My bad. Boom. And then next thing you know, instructions are in. So I'm like, it's amazing. It's kind of like the Domino's pizza tracker, but for closing of your transaction. So definitely check them out. And thanks again, Ruben, for chatting with me. Thanks for having me, Scott. All right. Thanks again for that conversation with Reuven and just the insights of, you know, the different ways of virtual close is so much more effective and efficient. Check out those guys at dita.ca. And also, if you're listening to this and you want some ideas for improving your mortgage business, you've got two things you can do. First, if you go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com, you can keyword search hundreds of past podcast episodes and find literally where anybody mentions any keyword you can think of, realtor, financial planner, first time buyer, you know, down payment, business for sale, anything. And it'll jump right to that spot in those episodes. And so you can get really detailed insight. It's totally free to go set that up, but I love mortgage brokering. And if you're an experienced mortgage broker and you're like, man, you're already making at least 100K a year as a mortgage broker, but you want to do it more and you want to do it more efficiently. We have an academy with some amazing coaches. Go to 10loansamonth.com. We only open up a few times a year and it's based on availability. So get on that wait list and we'll be talking to you soon. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.